Heroes get remembered. Here's the windup. Legends never die. Fastball hits deep to right. This could be it. Way back there. Oh, Welcome to Hardball. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Major League Baseball's history in first person. Conversations that span almost 20 years. It is 9.46 p.m. With the men who saw and made that history. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Many of whom are no longer with us. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Stories from the 1930s. To the 21st century. This is Hardball. Dad, you want to have a catch? Welcome to episode two of Hardball. My name is Chris Domino, and before we get to today's Hall of Fame guest, let me first say thanks for finding us. Believe me, I know there are thousands of options in this podcast world. We do appreciate you spending your time here. A quick summary of what I'm hoping each episode of Hardball brings to you for that investment of time. As I've mentioned, Hardball is a 20-year quest, which is still ongoing, to find and speak with some of the greatest players to ever play the game, But it's not really about numbers or debates, theirs or anybody else's, and we're certainly going to try to buck the trend of making everything a list. This is more of a celebration of the journey of these people and how they went from wherever USA and sometimes born out of the country to their story of the first at-bat or pitch in a major league uniform. And while there are certainly common threads that weave their way into many or most of them, there's always something that makes all of them unique. Unique was always the goal of this program. It's a first-hand account of not only their own career, but a look back at the people, places, moments that changed the course and history of Major League Baseball. In some cases, they are the stories that broke the collective hearts of cities and fan bases for all time. In others, they're the incredible stories that decades later still bring the smiles to older men and women who live vicariously through these gentlemen. Stories that first unfolded while huddled around an AM radio in the middle of a living room. Remember, these conversations go back, including today's guest, to the 1930s. There's a transistor radio earpiece snuck into elementary or high schools. And then, of course, we get to communal black and white TVs through plane rides over train trips right up and into the advent of color TV and nighttime World Series games. I can tell you I have a personal story with each guest, how they were actually booked to do this. And these interviews, as I mentioned, Phil Rizzuto included today's guest 17 or 18 years ago. I found it really amazing. Some were very easy to set up. It was find the phone number, tell somebody what it is we were looking to accomplish, and there we go. Let's set up a time to do it. Most times, by the way, landline phone, probably in the kitchen of most of these gentlemen. Other times, it took a little bit longer to set up, and Phil Rizzuto is one of those cases. As a matter of fact, it took about a year and a half. The only conversation it took longer to set up was Ted Williams, and I'll tell you how and why Phil Rizzuto actually did this after that much time coming up in a couple of seconds. Let me just tell you about Phil Rizzuto. He won an MVP. He'll talk about that. He will also talk about his first open Major League Baseball tryout for Casey Stangle. Let's just say it didn't go very well. What about his time in the Navy? What about some of the people he played with and against? Oh, yeah, you'll hear about it. Garrick, Ruth, Mantle, Billy, Reggie. Phil Rizzuto is arguably the truest of Yankees when you consider that his career – 
in and around the New York Yankees was seven decades. This is a fact. No New York Yankee, most storied franchise history in American sports, has ever touched more fans as a player into the career as a broadcaster. And I can tell you that my persistent pain in the assery to get him to say yes to this was built upon one premise. I grew up in the Northeast. I could not even fathom a series talking to not only players and hearing stories from them if it didn't include Phil Rizzuto. Phil Rizzuto was Phil Rizzuto, and what that means is that he was a guy who just was himself. When he went to the booth, he was still that guy. Funny storyteller. Uh, Some actually would get upset about the way he, quote-unquote, called a game because it might include happy birthdays and cannolis. Phil's going to talk about it all, I promise you. If you want to know what baseball in New York was like, winning World Series, losing a World Series, being told that your services are no longer needed, Phil Rizzuto has got it all. I can also tell you that there have been a few players that I kept up with after we had these conversations, and Phil was one of those. I had an opportunity to speak to him on a couple of occasions, just off mic, to ask how he was doing and how his family was. Always pleasant. What he told me the second time we spoke was, uh, the reason he ended up doing this, being a part of this, was because Whitey Ford told him, and I quote, why don't you do the thing with the Italian guy down in Atlanta? I think you'll enjoy it. And that was it. That's how Phil Rizzuto ultimately said yes. I can promise you, and I hope you hear it, it was everything I hoped it would be. Here he is, Hall of Famer Phil Rizzuto. Well, I think I have this fellow. All right, <laughs> well, let's take a try because I'm going to have to Two in mind. I think it's Phil Rizzuto. Phil Rizzuto. Was the 
Now, things could have been real different for you. You wanted to play for the Dodgers, didn't you? Yes. Oh, I was born in Brooklyn, and my whole dream was to uh, to be a ball player for the Dodgers. And when Casey Stengel, they had a tryout for uh, everybody. That and they, The thing that I only got reason that I stayed, they line you up on the right field foul line, you run to the left field foul line, the first 51, 50 guys there would pitch day, no matter how good the other guys were. And he looked at me and he said, "Kid, the only t- the only way you'll make a living is get a shoe shine box." <laughs> and I never let him forget that. When now, he how old? How old were you when he said that to you? I had just graduated high school. I, I, as a matter of fact, um, I hadn't quite graduated. I was in my last uh, last year, and they had the tryouts. And in those days, you could try out without, you know, being. Uh, they didn't have that rule now where you had to graduate. Mm-hmm. Well, how disappointed? I mean, Casey Stengel, the manager of the Dodgers, tells you something like that. How, how heartbroken are you when you go home that night? Well, very much so, but the, the thing is, either I was too dumb or too stubborn to give up because I had uh, my Uncle Mike, who was really the one that helped, helped me get around and uh, go to these, these uh, tryouts, and then the uh, Giants had a tryout, and Bill Terry, the great Hall of Famer, he wouldn't even let me put my uniform on. He didn't say anything about getting a shoe shine box. But he, <laughs> he wouldn't even let me get on the field. So now there's only one New York team left. Yeah, the Yankees. Yeah, they're the only ones left. But in between the Brooklyn and the Giants, the Cardinals had asked me to come out and work out with them. And I thought I had pretty good, uh, you know, had a little, uh, little game between the, uh, the players, made a couple of double plays, beat out a bunt. And they said, no. Don't call us, we'll call you. <laughs> <laughs> now, now the Yankees somehow, some way get thrown into this. Well, the thing there was that they had a whole week of tryouts. The team was on the road, and uh, Paul Critchell was the Yankee scout. had seen me play in high school, and uh, he asked me to come out, and I said, certainly. And then so we had a, they played a game every day, and they saw how you handled certain situations. I even did a home run in one of the games. I could bunt and make the double play and run. I could really run then. And uh, so at the end of the week, they gave me a contract. First to Butler, uh, New York. And uh, it was for $70 a month. And I said, well, gee, uh, I'd like to get a little more than that. But I was working in a factory during the summers. You know, I made a lot more money than that. Mm -hmm. And... uh, well, there's a, there's a team down in Bassett, Virginia. We'll give you $75 a month. <laughs> anyway, so I said, okay. And, uh, I mean, I was there. And I, you, I said that first time away from home, and go down there and get off the train. Well, that story's been around, but my father pinned a $20 bill to my undershirt because, you know, he had come from Italy and he read about all these gangsters and everything on the trains and everything. But nobody took bother to take the money. But, uh, <laughs> and we stopped in Richmond. I had my first taste of southern fried chicken. I couldn't believe how good it was. <laughs> but you're an Italian kid growing up in New York. Now, you don't have your mom. You don't have your dad with you. You're going down to Virginia. You're making a whopping $75 a month. I mean, this has got to be... They might as well have shipped you to Europe. They might as well have sent you to Mars at that point. <laughs> no, no way. Oh, I would have gone anyplace. <laughs> Because I saved a lot of money. I even sent money home to my mother. 
I mean, you get a steak for 25 cents, you go to the movies for a dime. So you made $75 a month and still sent money home? Yep. It was, I'm telling you, it was unbelievable. You must have been eating a lot of milk and bread, and that's well, about it. The thing is, you, you stayed in boarding house. Right. And, I mean, that was really something. I, me with my short arms and everything, everybody, these big guys, <laughs> they'd reach out and get that food. Well, but, no wonder you stayed so small. You had no chance to grow. You weren't getting enough food. <laughs> and what, what was the, do you remember your first day in a real Yankee uniform? Oh, I'll never forget it. Because it took quite a while for me to get the uh, spring training of uh, 1941. That was the year, my rookie year. Mm -hmm. And I came down, and when I got to try to get in the clubhouse, the Pop Logan, who was the uh, 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 clubhouse man, wouldn't let me in. I said, no. I said, wait a minute. I'm, I'm with the Yankees. He said, get away, kid. Don't bother me. <laughs> the manager was coming in and Gomez and Ruffing and and so finally, when Gomez came in, I had played uh, exhibition games with the major leaguers, with them, against other teams, you know. Mm -hmm. And I got, I got an old head. He said, listen, Poppy said, you better let this kid walk in before the ducks walk all over. <laughs> and he, oh, he was very funny. <laughs> he was really funny. Man. Now, can I guess, were the uniform numbers according to size? <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I mean, is that how you ended up with a lower number, or...? idea. I didn't care what they gave me, whether it was one or a hundred. Or, I didn't really know it was ten for the longest time, but uh, it was a good number, very lucky. Did, I mean, did you have that number, first number they gave you? Yeah. You never changed number over the course of your career? No, never did. And excuse me, I think I just said one. That was Billy Martin's number, of yeah, course. Yeah, that was Billy Martin. I, I meant number ten. You did say ten. Oh, okay. I was the one that said one. Okay, I wanted I, to make I sure. I didn't care if they would, they would have given me <laughs> one or a hundred. Now, how come, you know, we're going to talk about you bridging the gap, the guys you played with. And, I mean, it's unbelievable. You played in the greatest Yankee period, and you bridged that gap between Dickie, DiMaggio, and then the rest. But how come your name never came up in those Mickey, Whitey, and Billy stories? Because I didn't hang out with them. <laughs> I mean, I, I couldn't handle them. I mean, I think I went out one time. And after that, I said, forget it. Lucky you come back with your... Pulled your hair on and uh, <laughs> now, how, wild, how, yeah. much, how much truth with some of those stories about those guys and how much just became the fiction that everybody loves to talk no, about? No, no, everything, uh, everything you hear and more, I mean, but, but they weren't, um, uh, you know, they didn't take dope. And mm -hmm. they had a few lollipops maybe and got a little, you know, funny, but, uh, but uh, nothing like, uh, but they planned these things like... Uh, you know, Mickey and Whitey would uh, would go out. That that hunting story was a true story. Now hold on. See, I've heard that story. It's a true story. I'm telling you, Mick and Mick was a great. He was like Will Rogers. I'm just too young, probably to remember real, real Will Rogers, but he had that dry humor. And that's the way Mickey was. Now I'll tell that. Well, can you tell that story? Oh yeah, I can tell it. Okay. I'm sure, everybody heard it though. But nevertheless, uh, in the winter, Billy and Mickey would uh, hunt all the time. So uh, Mickey had this friend who had a, a hunting uh, uh, farm, and he said to Billy, let's go up and uh, we're going to shoot some uh, whatever they were shooting, that deer or uh, I, I don't know what it was. But uh, So they got up there because Mickey uh, didn't know whether the guy was home or not. And he said, you wait here, I'll bring the, he rang the bell, and 
talk to the man. The guy said, okay, you can hunt it. So Mickey comes running down. He says, what do you think of that SOB? He said, we come all the way up and he won't let us he won't let us shoot. And what? Oh, no, I know what. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Here's a Nazi. I'm getting ahead of myself. He said to Mickey, he said, Mickey, you guys can hunt here, but you got to kill, you got to shoot this one, uh, I think it was a mule or uh, his favorite mule. And he said, I can't do it. I can't be. You shoot that mule. And, and or cow, whatever it was, <laughs> and 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 then you can hunt. So Mickey comes out. Says, what do you think of that SOB? He won't let us shoot. With that, Mickey takes the gun and shoots. And all of a sudden, Mickey hears two bang bangs. <laughs> yeah, shot two of these beautiful heifers that must have cost thousands. <laughs> and Mickey says, "Let's get out of here." And off they went. Oh, well, oh, but I mean, they, they buy hats and come back with bullet holes in them and tell stories. It wouldn't really happen. <laughs> but I tell you, but they, I mean, it was a riot every day. And I said, had Mickey uh, not, you know, stayed, they, they were night people like mm-hmm. Billy and Mickey. Not Whitey so much, but... Uh, Whitey always seemed to be like that third guy who somehow, someway was just there and he just got in trouble with him. Yes, that's true. Now, you played with Bill Dickey, Tommy Henrich, Joe DiMaggio, Yogi Berra, Mantle, Ford, and then you win the most valuable player in 1950. Now, if you don't, with all due respect, how the heck did that happen? I, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I was flustered. I, I had no idea how to act. And, uh, you know, the year before, though, in 48, no, 49. 49, right. I had, a, I had an outstanding year, and, and uh, not as good as 1950, but but I finished second to uh, Ted Williams by just a few votes. Now, hold on. You were second in the MVP in 49? In 49. I never knew that. Because, uh, you know, Tommy Henry said, look, he said, I think you're going to be the MVP. But uh, I think, I'm not sure whether that was the year that uh, uh, Williams hit his second 400 year. Mm-hmm. Well, 49, he wouldn't have hit 400, but I'm sure it was close to a triple crown. But yeah. that year in 49 probably helped you in 50 get it because people now yes. notice you a little bit more, obviously. Yes, because in 49, I was the only player to play in every game. That mm-hmm. was the year we had so many injuries. I mean, to Tommy Henrik and Johnny Mize, everybody was out. And I just, when you're little, you know, you don't get hurt like that. <laughs> they got too many muscles. <laughs> you didn't have time to bother with that no, stuff. No. Now, you went right to the booth when you retired. Who gave you that job? Well, nobody gave it to me. But, well, actually, in a sense, they did. But, you know, when in my last few years as a player, mm-hmm. when Casey would take me out of the game fairly early when you were losing, and uh, I think he still, because I still used to get on him and everything. But I I didn't care. So I, But what I would do, I would take a shower, and I'd run upstairs to the booth with Mel Allen and uh, every once in a while he'd let me do an inning or he'd interview me talk about baseball now this is while you're an active player you'd literally leave in the fourth inning and you'd go upstairs and talk with Mel Allen or yes. do some of the game I never knew that yeah no no nobody knew it I mean of course in those days you know you just had radio you didn't mm-hmm. so uh, now did you think that was some kind of audition were you just having fun was no, it something you I planned th- on doing yeah, I started to think but one of the few times that I didn't have to take a sign, you know, <laughs> players, they, they, some of them don't even know how to make uh, make out their airline tickets. But uh, I, st- 
started to think, I said, man, this is the life up here. You're dead down there sweating. And uh, you guys were sliding in here trying to knock you out the left field. And I, so I, a little more often, and Mel would let me do it a little more often. And then on, on the year that uh, my, well, I'm sure that everybody knows about that story of when they released me on. Now, was that true or what well, actually happened? Yeah. No, I mean, I was out in the field. Oh, it was old times day. And little did I know that very shortly I was going to be an old time. And, uh, now it's fun. I don't even know if it's funny to you now. Now when you say that, obviously you can put a humorous spin on it, but but that had to be devastating. Oh, my, oh! I almost, if George Sternweiss hadn't have been there, I probably would have jumped off the George Washington Bridge. They literally tell you how that uh, basically you don't have well, to put on a uniform tomorrow. Well, they didn't. Say they they were very tricky, which made me even more madder and, and thought much less of. Uh, Stengel and George Weiss, they had sent the, the uh, clubhouse boy, or the ball boy, that's what it was, uh, the bat boy out to, to get me. I'm, I'm, every old time is there, I would take pictures of the old time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, was, I was in the lineup that day, but they called, they said, well, uh, Mr. Stengel, Mr. Weiss want to talk to you. I said, okay. So I gave him the camera, said, take some pictures. And I walk in, and uh, Casey says, oh, George Weiss said to me, well, look, we've got, I want to go over this line, so we've got to let somebody go because we've got a chance to get somebody who can help us in the World Series against the Dodgers. And so I said, okay, you know, no idea in the world. So we're going through, and I'm saying, uh, well, Charlie Silvera hadn't caught uh, three games all year back at Yogi. Well, I said, Yogi might get hurt, and then there were some pitchers that hadn't pitched ten innings all year. I said, well, you're never going to tell them we need them for one man or one pitch. All the way through, and they, every time I, I mentioned somebody, they said no. So I said, "Wait a minute, let's go over that again." And then I got it, and they said, "Look, so we we would like to give you your release, get a full share of the World Series, get a ring if we win." Which they did. They did give me a full share of the ring, but I didn't care at that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was in tears, and I and I walked out, and usually. Games where I wasn't starting in that last year, I would go out to the uh, bullpen. And I started out, and George Sternweiss happened to be outside the door, and Sternweiss had been released a few years before that. And he saw me and said, Phil, what's the matter? And I told him, he said, Look, I mean, George was it's a shame the way he, he got killed in that train wreck. Mm-hmm. He was a great, great guy, great human being, great athlete, all American at uh, North Carolina. And, uh, he said, look, he said, forget it, don't. He said, just go in, get your money out of the, you know, you put your money in that little, have you got that sort of a safe, you would put it in, and at the end of the game, you'd get a, yeah, you had your key, and you'd go in and get it out. He said, go in and get that. He said, just take your clothes, don't put them on. Come with me, leave your car here. Best, the best advice he could have given me. Do you think you, you think you would have went in and, and maybe mouthed off and maybe oh, ruined this whole relationship? So. I would have, I would have been looking for the reporters. Yeah. And it was the, the best thing that happened. I mean, we went up to Grossinger's. They were really great to the athletes. And, and that's, uh, that was a famous, uh, in the Borscht Belt. And they had all these things for kids to do, mm-hmm. golf courses. We stayed up there a week. Nobody knew where I was. And finally I came back and uh, got my car. And uh, all of a sudden I started to get phone calls. I, you know, I was the first guest on What's My Line. You 
I don't even know what, what's my line. Uh, I know the show What's My Line. I never knew that. Boy, that's a that's a pretty. Listen, it's not the same as going into Cooperstown, <laughs> but being the first guest on What's My Line isn't too bad. Yeah, and and, they, and I hate, a lot of times they use that as one of the, um, you know, uh, what, what uh, it's saying you like a trick question for you. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and then that's one of the going, that's it, one of the great barroom trivia questions. Yes, first guest on What's My Line, right. Phil Rizzuto. And then uh, Ed Sullivan uh, had me on. I was hoping that the Beatles would be on at the same time, but they weren't. <laughs> well, the whole world would have known who you were if they didn't know you by then. Yeah. With the Beatles on. And, uh... Was that, by the way, when you got released, was that 1956? 1956, yeah. So you were not on the field when Don Larson threw his perfect no. game in the World Series? No, but I was at the game. Yeah? Were you calling the game that no, day? No, no. No, I wasn't broadcasting. I was... I was... I had been released, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I was doing... Well, what happened was I got a couple of breaks because... They, they asked me to do uh, a game with uh, Tommy Henrik and I did a game for the Giants and uh, just a few innings each. One and, and then Roy Campanella and I did some innings. And, Boy, that's uh, some booth for a baseball game. Tommy yeah. Henrik, Roy Campanella, Phil Rizzuto. It was the Giants, though, not the Yankees, mm-hmm. when, when the Giants were playing. And uh, so, so the Giants had asked me I would uh, be their broadcast, but they were moving that year to San right. Francisco, and they said I had to go to San Francisco. And they told you that, and you just said no at that point? No, I said no. And then Baltimore. Baltimore made me some offer. Holy cow. I mean, it was terrific. They were going to get us a house, buy us a house, my kids to school. We were, they took us down there. We looked at it. Baltimore was a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, again, they said you have to live here all year round, and Yogi and I were opening a bowling alley at that time. So now you're you're just saying no to people, but you're not really sure, although you had the bowling alley coming, what else you might be doing with the right. rest of your life. And then all of a sudden, I get a call from uh, Ballantyne Brewery. They were the big sponsors for the Yankee game. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget John Farrell. He, he always treated me very nicely. And then he said to me, he said, how would you like to uh, do the Yankee game? I said, any time, any place. They gave me the lowest <laughs> amount of, of the three teams that wanted the, the Giants and Baltimore, but I took it. And you know, it, it is for every every time things look the worst, it, something happens. Well, it's unbelievable. I mean, literally, the Yankees are the last team you try out for. Casey right. Stengel tells you to go get a shoeshine box. You end up playing for playing for the Yankees, beating the brains out of the Dodgers. Then what could have been absolutely the worst case scenario, you leaving the Yankees that way, you end up back with the Yankees, and then. I mean, it's not even halfway done for you in terms of your career because then you oh, call oh. some of the greatest moments in Yankee history. Oh, gee, I tell you, it was, and I mean, and to get paid for something like that, and again, we, we, I didn't make hardly anything when I was playing for the Yankees, nor when I was broadcasting, and all of a sudden, announcers started to get a little more and a little more, and, and you know. Well, not every announcer, by the way. You you paid your time and dues, and uh, listen, I lived up there. You were absolutely. I I, I say there are a few guys. I know. Mel Allen, I know Red Barber, I know Vin Scully, I know Ernie Harwell, and I know Harry Carey, and I've always said if you don't include Phil Rizzuto in that group, you're absolutely out of your minds. Well, I appreciate that, but very few of the uh, people who are real avid baseball fans uh, that didn't like me because I, you know, would tell stories and menu and give, give out uh, birthdays and uh, I, but, I, I had a I had a 
ball. When but I... you had fun, and you rooted for the Yankees. Oh, yeah. And you didn't care that anybody knew that. <laughs> yeah. So were you in the booth when Mazeroski hits the home run in 1960? No, no. So you start the next year in 61? No, I started in 57. So now how come you're not in there when Mazeroski hits numbers? Uh, excuse me, Mazeroski hits the home run in 1960? Of course, every year, Mel Allen said he would take one announcer from from each team that won the pennant. Okay. And so Mel would get it oh, automatically okay. each year. And, and the first year I got it, uh, I couldn't believe it, but they, they, uh, Ralph Hawk was managing him over and said, you're going to be doing a World Series this year. I said, what? He said, yeah, unfortunately, my first World Series was the year that the Reds beat us four in a row. Yeah, I, I would have <laughs> never put you back in the booth ever again. <laughs> <laughs> now, you did call Maris, and by the way, that was kind of the end of it for the Yankees, some would say. Yes, yes, it was. Uh, Marison 61, that call, everybody knows that one. How great yeah. a day was that for you? Oh, my God. I had a headache for about a week. Screaming? Oh, I, yep, I <laughs> set the record for holy cows. That, oh, I couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, the pressure that was on Maris, I mean, and, and the people did not like him at all. They, you know, at first, Mantle had been the one that they used to boo mm-hmm. all the time because he didn't go in the circus. Right. And, and Maris came along, and then there's this home run duel. Everybody rooted for Mantle, and not Maris. And then when Maris won it, he didn't. I mean, he lost his hair. They I mean, he, you know, you reporters are really something. <laughs> and of course, I I could see the way you you hung on to my. I was telling you, the young man that that had called me up. I said, uh-huh. Your your number was on my phone ten times oh, more yeah. than anybody else. Stuck with it. I'm relentless. I, I, right. I'm i not kidding. I, I've been looking forward to this for a lot of different reasons for so long. Now, were you in the booth during the Mantle retirement ceremony, or were you on the field? When Mantle retired that day, they had Mickey Mantle Day. Oh, you know, I was up in the booth. Yeah. I, and I went downstairs, too, to present him with one of the prizes, mm-hmm. and then I went back up. How, how emotional was that for you? Oh, I, I hated it. Because Mick and I were the best of friends, and his wife and kids grew up practically with my kids even though we, they, they were much older than my mm-hmm. kids. But we stayed at the same uh, motel every every year in Florida, and we'd eat together, and every once in a while, go out and uh, together and, uh, you know, really have a ball, really, really have a lot of fun. You also call the George Brett Pintart game. Yeah, oh, my <laughs> gosh. I mean, I... I Brett scared me. Well, you saw the picture. Yeah. His veins stuck out. I thought he was going to kill the umpire. And how about Reggie's three home runs? Yeah, oh. That was on. And, and on first pitches, I couldn't believe it. I mean, he is, you know, I got to know Reggie real well after he was through as a player. When he was a player, he was a pain. And, I mean, mm. <laughs> I, I've gotten to know him a little bit. I'm not too fond of him right now. Yeah. Now, you, you saw a lot of bad Yankee teams in the 60s, and then yeah. they come back to dominance in the 70s. How good a feeling was that when they started winning again? Oh, I, I mean, because I couldn't believe it. My four years in the minor leagues, we won the pennant every year. And that was like a playoff share, and you knew it was coming, and, and you kind of just, I assume, think, hey, this is going to happen every year for us. Yes, absolutely, because, you know, otherwise I'd have had to go to work, find a job in the winter. And you're saying, we're the Yankees. We wear pinstripes. We play in a house that Ruth built. Yep, that's for sure. And I, I could never believe it. 42, when we won the first game against the Cardinals, and they come back and beat us four straight. Uh, that was the first mm. World Series that the Yankees had lost in a long, long time. And, uh, and then come after the war was over, it was, it was slow. We, 
didn't win in 46 the first year. We won in 47, didn't win in 48, and then we won the five in a row. And then took care of the Dodgers until 1955 when they finally get yeah. you. Now, a few more things with you, Mr. Rizzuto, and I really do appreciate your time. Who was your favorite player to watch? Babe Ruth. Now, you saw him. I saw him. I never played with him. I got to meet him when he was, you know, not feeling well. And he'd come and sit on the bench and tell us stories, and boy, everybody would pile around. He had that gray camel hair, uh, brown, tan camel hair coat and hat. He was different, huh? You oh, could just he, tell he was different. He really was. Did when you meet Mr. When I watched, yes, I met him. Met him while he was still a player, mm -hmm. but when when he would swing, you know, not too many guys look good striking out, but he looked good striking out. He hit when he hit those home runs, and then when you you, you look at his pitching record, and, and and when I saw him first when I was a kid, I was I only sit in the bleachers, and he was right in front of me. I mean, he was built. He had, then he got heavy and heavy, and he mm -hmm. could still play. Did you see Mr. Gehrig play? Oh yes! Yeah. Oh man! Now you must have just missed him. You you must have yeah, still been in the minor leagues. His last game that that he ever played, the last time he he played in a ball game, was against the Kansas City Blues. And I we stopped for an exhibition game. He played the first inning, and then he went went in and got dressed. And that was the last time he put on. Uh, uh, I don't know whether it was the last time he put on a uniform. But right. The last game that he was ever in. And you were in the building that day. We played. We played the Yankees an exhibition game. This oh. was in nineteen thirty-nine, probably. Yeah, nineteen thirty-nine. I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. it was an exhibition game that he that he really kind of took game. off the uniform. Hmm. Now, a lot of your teammates have passed, obviously, and a lot of people you grew up watching, yeah. Yankees associated. Do you still picture everybody young when yes, you think I, about them? I, I do. I just can't believe the the guys that have gone and. Uh, uh, when you, when you see that they picked, I got all their pictures when they were mm -hmm. when they were young. Every year they take the picture of the the team that win the pennant, and the World Series, and all the guys that be on. I could name every one of them, and, and and you look at those pictures, and it's like the picture of Dorian Gray. You know, nobody ever gets old. Nobody ever gets old. Do you picture yourself still running around, and do you I, think I, yourself? I feel, I'm telling you, I'm I'm 83 years old, right? And I, I mean, I I feel like I'm the same as I was when I was. 21, 22. It, you know, I, I talked to a few players from your era in the past, and one of the things that they also tell me is, is when you lose teammates the way that you have and some of these other gentlemen have, just the idea of not being able to pick up the phone and say hello to Mickey and say hello to Billy. And, and oh, can you give me goosebumps right now? I got through my whole body. My, my first time I ever had that, I go on my legs. <laughs> I mean, just to say that, and all, all those guys, many times I'll be... I'll be uh, before I go to sleep. I'll, I'll just think of the guys that I played with. How lucky I was. That era you talked about. I think that was the best era. What everybody would say that years that they played in. But that that was really something. Now, when you go to sleep, you say as you're getting ready to go to sleep. Do, do you ever dream about oh, yes. games and? Oh, and absolutely. You do. Oh man. Are you are you right in the middle of it? Do you know you're dreaming or do you? No, I know I'm dreaming, and I hate to wake up. Sometimes when I wake up, you know, you kind of forget a little bit. You remember part of the dream, but while you're having it, it's just, oh, gee. And I used to, of course, when I was playing, I used to dream a lot, too. And every year I'd, I'd say, oh, my, I don't want to be the GOAT of the World Series. Mm -hmm. I'd always have that picture in the paper. Uh, GOAT. Bill Gallo. Hero, Bill Gallo. Yeah. He's still a great buddy of ours. 
Well, let's do this. Let's make you feel good. All right? If I'm going to give you a, a name, and just tell me the first thing that comes to your head. If I say Casey Stengel, what's the first thing you think of? Well, there was never any love lost between... <laughs> there was a lot of love lost between, uh, between Casey and I, but I mean, he was the greatest thing for uh, newspaper men, uh, mm-hmm. television men. He'd give them straight. He was the best double talker I ever heard in my life. Now, between him and Yogi, who actually knew what they were doing and who was playing to the reporters and who was actually just speaking? Well, they were both. They both. Uh, I mean, uh, but was it a plan or was, did it just no, happen? No, it was a plan. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, some would say. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, but, uh, but he, he, you know, Casey, that great story, he'd go into in front of the Congress and... Mm-hmm. Making that speech and then Mickey Mantle saying, "I say the same thing, Casey," but nobody knew what he said anyway. <laughs> How about Joe DiMaggio? What's the first thing you think of? Well, he, I, I idolized Joe DiMaggio. And he took you under his wing a little bit. Yes, if it weren't for Joe, I might never have gotten batting practice in '41. Because in '41, my rookie year it took about almost ten days before they let me in to take batting. Because Joe said, "Listen, if the kids." going to play for us this year. Let's see if he can hit, if he can do something. So you literally spend 10 days with no batting practice. No, I'd, get, I'd be ready to hit Joe Gordon and say, wait, I want to take some extra hits. And then uh, Red Ralph would come in. They didn't hate me, but uh, here I was trying to take away mm-hmm. the guy that they all love so much. Right. And by the way, who really helped me stay in the big leagues. Crissetti? Yeah, because when we when we played, I didn't had never seen these guys before. Mm-hmm. We opened with Washington. They had four left-hand hitters. And all four of them, turned out, were, were not pull hitters. They'd hit between third and short. And you needed that piece of advice to make and sure you were ready. Joe said to me, opening day, I mean, that's one day. One day I'll never forget because I saw my first real life president, President Roosevelt, that day. He threw out the first ball in Washington, I guess, huh? Yep. And, and he said, he said, now you what? I'll move you. He said, I mean, if he hadn't moved me, I'd look like a real jerk and back to Kansas City. Because these left-handers were hitting the ball. He had me right there. And now, you, you go to the Hall of Fame. You meet a president of the United States. Which one did you think was less likely as a kid? That's the president. Well, I, I, at, when I was a kid, it was a, I never thought of the Hall of Fame, but I thought of presidents. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was forget when I, the, the uh, Hall of Fame didn't start until, what, was it, 36? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, uh, but that's the president. That's the, oh, the, <laughs> you know, the president was. But Hall of Fame uh, actually meant more to me than mm-hmm. meeting my first president. How about Mickey Mantle? What's the first thing you think of? Um, just that I, had he not had any uh, of those injuries, he, you know, he had more stitches on him than a road map. He, he, that day that he went for that ball in right center field, never forget it, in the World Series, and went against the Giants, and his, sna- his leg snapped. Oh. Drain pipe in there. Here they come. Oh. Yeah. He would have broken every record, stolen bases, Home runs. I mean, he. I mean, I right hand and left hand. And I say he would have gotten more home runs because it, it, you know, it, that bad leg, that bad knee would give just as he stepped into pitches and couldn't push off. He couldn't push off. Yeah. But, oh, he well, was, your good friend Ted Williams said he was the greatest he ever saw. He no said, Mickey, "Yeah, he said Mickey Mantle had more tools than anybody." Yes, he really did. Yeah. I mean, he could outrun everybody. He was the best bunter I've ever seen. I, and that was mine. I was supposed to be the number mm-hmm. one bunter in the big leagues. Good thing I could bunt. 
because I couldn't hit the home run. But he he could bunt with two strikes on him, and uh, you know he was so fast that if you get they weren't bunts that you drag. It'd be like a good wood on the ball. And, and Just start you know, running. You get a bite of pitcher, you had a base that easy. Pee Wee Reese. Oh, he was oh, he was a real southern gentleman. He, I mean, he was great. He and I were buddies because we played against each other in the American Association. And I, he went to Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and, and I go to the Yankees. I mean, he. Uh, and you guys were linked at the hip. Your names, you know, when Pee Wee gets in, then it's when is it going to be Phil's turn? When is it going to be Phil's well, turn? And and when it was, uh, no, when when Pee Wee got in, the reporters had all said they they knew that Pee Wee and I were going to go in together. Mm-hmm. And. I actually I had a day off from broadcasting, and then uh, the writers all said, "You got to come down because uh, they're going to make an announcement." And you know, and we we were broadcasting, and uh, I said, "No, I got to play golf." I, he said, "No, come on." So, uh, in about the second inning, they started. Came on the older, you know, on the loudspeaker. They said they're announcing the uh, Hall of Fame as men who are. So I hear Pee Wee announce. And then I hear uh, uh, Rick Farrell's name announced. Mm-hmm. And that was in his head. And that's it. And I got up out of my chair. I was right in the middle of it. Went downstairs, got in my car, went home. And every year that they came out, after I was uh, a the ball player, you got to wait five years. Mm-hmm. And every year after that, I would be in spring training. My son lives in Florida. So whenever it was over, we'd sit down, have a little Sambuca, or quite a bit of Sambuca, <laughs> and forget about it. The next day, and I was, I was fortunate because I, I even said, and it was not being, hum, it wasn't humility or anything, that it, I said, I don't belong in the Hall of Fame. And I said, I'm just glad that they're not, but I would love to get in there every year. Finally, my big year was when they they put in as men who would vote for the Hall of Fame: mm-hmm. White, Barra, and Reese. They, they were on a committee. So the uh, Veterans Committee. Now you had uh, a little bit more ammunition. Yeah, and uh, I finally got in. When I got to the Hall of Fame, I said, "Listen, can they ever take this away from me?" And they said, "Nope." <laughs> I mean, I just couldn't believe it. It's like a Supreme Court justice. Once you're in, yeah, <laughs> you're in. No, it was. It, it reminded me of when my first year with the Yankees. I know here are all the guys that I had been reading about and you know rooting for. Mm-hmm. And here I am in a locker room with them, and in awe of them. And now I didn't open my mouth for a week and sit next to between Gehrig and Dickey, you know, and, and they're cutting coupons out. From Buns or whatever they were. I don't know what they what they were. <laughs> what things were like. They, they were great. Roughing, we had a couple of toes missing from that. He used to work in a mine. Hmm. And he hit himself with an axe. He'd be sitting there. He was a great, he was a great hitter. They, make, they paid him extra money to be a pinch hitter. I didn't know that. Yeah. But you get in, and you're a member of the Hall of Fame. I mean, I, every everywhere you go, it's Hall of Famer Phil Rizzuto. That is now your full yeah, first and, name. And that is very unusual because right after I got in the Hall of Fame, people treat you so differently. Like all of a sudden, you're not a 
buddy, they can't come up to and say, hey, Scooter, you know, I'm Mr. Rizzuto. I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it one bit. <laughs> now, you didn't like it so much that you were asking it to be taken out. No. No. Oh, no, no, no. But you did become Mr. Rizzuto, huh? Yeah, I couldn't get used to it. Baseball royalty <laughs> is what you became at that Just point. getting a few letters before you name mm-hmm. H-O-F. Oh, yeah, it's unbelievable. Well, like I said, it's it's you know it better than I. It's something they can never take away from you. And as I said, I, I very much look forward to doing this. And and my expectations and my level of excitement uh, has certainly, certainly been met. And everything that I hope for. Um, you are as nice a gentleman, as classy a gentleman as I've been hearing about for years from people who knew you, including Ted Williams and a few others that I've definitely had the pleasure to speak to. I spoke to Pee Wee Reese about six years ago when I first got into this business, and uh-huh. he speaks. He, you know, he spoke so kindly of you as well. And and so highly of you, and I just want to tell you, as a baseball fan in the New York area, whether you're a Met fan or a Yankee fan, you certainly knew when Phil Rizzuto was on you were going to be entertained, uh, and I just want to thank you for that as well. I, I don't often get a chance to say thank you to people who were a part of your baseball world growing up, but you're actually one of those, not as a player, but a man who was in the booth, and I really do appreciate your time today, Mr. Rizzuto. It's been a- I, I appreciate uh, working with you and doing this thing. It, uh, you know. I, I dread doing interviews, but I, I don't like anything where I got scripts. But this is terrific, just talking back and forth, like the hot stove. Lee. And, and that's but really, listen, you, Huckleberry, you got me. You said fifteen minutes. I know. How long we've been on? I uh, um, I don't want to tell you. I'll send you. I'll send you a couple of more dollars. How's that? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, I, I know that you just came off the vacation, and I'm glad you and your wife are doing well, and I'm yeah. I'm glad you had a great time on that. And and, and as I said, it's just been an honor and a pleasure. Uh, anybody who ever wore the pinstripes for a day or a year or 10 years, I certainly know what that must have meant to him, and I think you expressed it today as well as anybody I've ever spoken to. Well, thank you very much. Mr. Rizzuto, again, I hope you and your family remain yeah, happy Mr. and healthy. Yeah, with you, Mr. Rizzuto. See that? Well, every once in a while you fall back to that growing up in New York and you got to respect your elders, but okay. uh, I appreciate your time again today. Okay. Thanks. Thank have a great day. Anytime you want to leave, just leave. This, this, is, this is absolutely going nowhere. I'm doing it my way and still here and broadcasting, but see the way I jump around, it's ridiculous. You could walk down any street in Brooklyn and New York and never miss an inning or a pitch. With the Dodgers, the Giants just one year. It's unfortunate we'd beat them every year, but that one year that that one year they lucked out, we figured we better let them win one. Or they're going to leave town, and they left town anyway. Hey, White, what's that? What's that stuff that looks like oatmeal? Grits, grits. A day without cannolis is like a day without sunshine. They gave me these grits, and I didn't know what to do with them. So I put them in my pocket. I tell you, they take too many foul balls in the mask. That's what. I don't want to start crying now. Everybody comes up here cries. I know it's. It's not too bad if you do cry, but, you know, all of you have been there for the most wonderful lifetime that one man can possibly have. And I just want to say God bless all of you, and God bless this wonderful game that they call baseball. Thank you very much. Yes, it was mine.